Buckle your seatbelts and hang on to your cowboy hats, ladies, because Off the Ground is going to Nashville. That's right, April 1st through 3rd, we're taking this show on the road, and you can come too. We'll be touching down in the music city for some boot stomping fun and an ultimate girls weekend, including activities, festivities, and swag galore. Secure your spot and snag a stay with us at Nashville's hottest property, Hotel Noel. We know we can't help ourselves. We will obviously be showering you with a jam-packed gift bag, along with delectable meals, hang time with your favorite podcast girl gang, and on Saturday, get ready to spend an epic afternoon with country music sensation, Megan Lindsay. You may know her from NBC's The Voice or a little show called Queer Eye, where she's behind the new theme song this season. So get this, you'll be joining her for a private songwriting and recording session at her home studio. Yes, you will get to create music with a number one billboard recording artist. Then you'll settle in with sips and snacks to watch her off the gram interview live. Heidi, are we missing anything? Oh, you know, only that we'll be rounding out the weekend with a chance to get your butt kicked by me during a private crossley yoga session Sunday morning, obviously followed by brunch. Can't think of a better way to finish the trip. Want more info on how to come along? Email me, jamie at offthegrampodcast.com, and I'll hook you up with deets. We'll see you there. Positivity becomes toxic when we use it to dismiss someone else's feelings, to make them feel like what they're feeling isn't real or true, and when we use it to deny someone else's reality. And we can also do all of those things to ourselves. Welcome back to an all-new season of Off the Ground, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey, Megs. <laughs> all right. So today's guest is Whitney Goodman, the radically honest psychotherapist behind the popular Instagram account at Sit With Wit and owner of the Collaborative Counseling Center, a private therapy practice in Miami. She helps individuals and couples heal past wounds and create the life they've always wanted. Her work has been featured in dozens of publications and programs, including the New York Times, Teen Vogue, New York Magazine, In Style, and Good Morning America. Whitney lives in Miami with her husband and their two dogs, Luna and Charlie, and her son. Okay, Megan here. So Whitney is a fellow Penguin Random House author. In fact, we share the same editor. I recently got the chance to moderate a book chat with her for her new release, Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy, which went straight to number one on Amazon. It's an incredibly thought-provoking read. Listen to the show for the same reasons you should pick up her book. You've been impacted by toxic positivity and are sick of it. You don't know what toxic positivity is, but you're intrigued. You have no idea how positivity could possibly be toxic and you're ready to cry blasphemy. (laughs) (laughs) So many things to learn. I am excited about this show. Yes, but before we get to Whitney, Max, did we want to rant about something? Yes. Okay. The big debate here is, 
at-home workouts versus studio workouts. Da, da, da. <laughs> I, so here's the thing. You know where I net out. I am so big on community and the energy of a room. I love group fitness. And I don't know it's because I was a soccer player and an athlete and always played big team sports that I just crave that community. Now, listen, I do at-home workouts on occasion. I should be doing your at-home workouts, <laughs> but weirdly, I can't do yoga without heat. And that's that's also mental. Megan, that is why CrossFlow X is for you because it builds your internal heat, which is way safer. But I just want to do it with you in real time in Nashville. Yes. Um, like that's what I'm holding out for. I can't wait. Oops. <laughs> Everybody knows, right, that we're headed to Nashville for a live off the gram special episode and weekend. I mean, apparently they know now. So I mean, maybe we we spilled a little bit. So like if I'm away, I will absolutely do, you know, a workout online. It just doesn't feel the same for me. I don't get that same stress relief. Oh, that's so interesting about the stress relief, Megs, because I think I like to leave my house though. If I'm being honest, I think it's also a piece of it is like I like to leave. Hmm. I like to be away from my kids. I like to feel like, especially now that I work from home, mm-hmm. it's like an excuse to get the heck out of the house. That's super interesting. And I, you know, it, it's interesting that it's just the two of us today because James is out because I feel like she'd have a middle ground, whereas I'm pretty opposite you. I didn't start that way. I started wanting to go to classes, wanting to be part of a community. There's a term in Sanskrit that's the bhav of a class, which is like the flow, the feel, the, it's oh, the energy like the that bob. is created by the class, right? Of tons of bodies moving in synchronicity and all of that. And that was actually why when I, you know, I was yoga all the time only. And then when my little sister dragged me to my first soul cycle class, that was the part of it that I loved was everyone was in sync. It's this idea of like creating this group energy, doing the same thing at the same time. And we're all doing the same, like we're all one, you know, which is yoga means union and all that. So I did love a good group experience. And I think that, you know, I was creating all these like super short videos for shape magazine and for shape.com. And I would always be like, who on earth would do a seven minute yoga video? That is so, and then like cut to me after my twins were born and cleared for exercise, Googling seven minute yoga videos, like trying to find my seven minute like, how yoga are you gonna fit it in? So that's when I started to really appreciate online fitness was because I didn't have the time. The classes didn't fit in my schedule. I didn't have the time to leave, you know, my newborn twins. And then there was another, and then there was this, and then there was that. And it's, you know, and as I got busier and busier as a teacher, I didn't have time for my own practice. And, you know, having to do all that thinking about it, like I just wanted somebody to tell me what to do instead of thinking through my own thing, which I think that's so much. I mean, because I am a trainer. I mean, I was a fitness Mm -hmm. director of Self Magazine for nine years. Like I am a trainer. I know what to do. I have weights and equipment and I've, you know, made workout videos, Mm -hmm. but I, I love to not have to be in charge and to be mindlessly following and not responsible for the routine. That's a luxury. I completely agree with that. And to be perfectly honest with you, like I do my own videos on CrossFit yoga when I don't want to think because I'm not creating new. Like, oh my I, God, that's so meta. You do your own. <laughs> I love 
it's funny. Like sometimes a friend will do it with me and we'll be in the same place that we shot it. And that's exactly what they say. They're like, this is so meta. Because well, <laughs> no one does it better. So you might as well take your own class, right? <laughs> well, I think that's my thing. It's like, right. I had a pain point, which was like, I wanted cardio. I wanted endorphins, but I wanted it to be yoga. And that doesn't, it just doesn't exist. No, and I, the way that I need it to. And that's why I end up doing my own videos. But before I had an app, there were times, like I said, where I was Googling, 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 trying to find, because I didn't have the luxury of leaving. And I, you know, the classes didn't work. I didn't have childcare. I didn't, there's so many reasons. So I think, I think for me and, you know, when COVID hit and still for me, I, I get uncomfortable. I love me, you know, my Lori Cole soul cycle. However, there's no more mask mandate. And that makes me personally very uncomfortable. And like, yay for you if you've had COVID or double vax and boosted and you have a level of comfort and you don't have unvaccinated children, right? But I do. So for me, I'm still, I went to a class once I got clearance from my surgeon and I was like, oh my God, am I going to kill my child? That's all I could think of the whole class. And I wore a mask and like barely breathed. And <laughs> Yeah, that's not worth it. So for me right now, yeah, right now, Online fitness is my saving grace. Well, I'll be honest, Heidi. I had never done an online at home anything until the pandemic. And then it was like out of necessity, I started doing with my girlfriend, Chelsea, was doing like this like fire kind of beat class, which I loved. But then she had a baby and she stopped. And then I really checked out, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, totally. And I think there's different kinds of people. Like I think as a teacher, right? Like I've taught thousands of bodies. Like that's just a fact all over the world, all different ages, all different bodies, all different, you know, sexes, every, everything. Right. And some people, when they're in a group class, they get overly competitive with people around them, which is so interesting in yoga because yoga is not a competition, but they see the person on the mat next to them doing like a more advanced variation. And then they force themselves into it. And it's not good. No, that's interesting because I've seen that and I feel like I've just outgrown all vanity and I may work wisdom. a little bit harder. I, it's so funny because I was in SLT this week and someone checked their phone twice on the mega during class and it crushed me. I was like, are you kidding? Like it, I could, like I was palpable. Like, this is my sacred space. Like you have a phone near your mega. Like I couldn't handle it. Yeah. But I've also like, if someone is crushing it next to me, I still will modify. Like I'm beyond that point of like, mm -hmm. I got to keep up. Nah, no, I got to do me. But I, as someone, like I said, with like experience of thousands, you are the vast minority. Like it's, yeah. that's not like I could spot that person in a class of 50 to 80 because they were the only one. And I'd be like, oh, you get it. Hey, listen, in my 30s, like if you did three, I did five, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, as a mature mama of three, I, like I just don't give a shit. It's wisdom and experience. And, you know, I went through the phase where I injured myself. And then I, you know, those injuries were my greatest teachers, which it could be toxic, but yep. those ones actually were. And I learned not to do that and to tune in and tune out everything else. So I think what I'm saying is like that person at home, 
you know, unless they need that motivation of a person right there because they are checking their phone because they're online and no one's there to look at them. I think that person benefits greatly from not having the competitive lens of like, well, that person's doing that and that person's doing that. So they are more focused on themselves and less focused on everyone else. However, I totally see the flip side too of like the energy, the bob, the like the whole thing. It's so exciting. I need a party. I think my real life is just so boring that I need a gym party. That just might be the thing, Heidi. But there's also that community. I think your real life is pretty awesome. But you know, I think you make a party wherever you are, Megs. But I think the community part is really big too. A hundred percent. I'm pumped about this interview. Should we bring on our guest? I think it is a great time. Okay. I'm going to say yay to that. (laughs) Welcome, Whitney. I am psyched for yet another chance to sit with wit. And for our listeners who don't know, at sit with wit is the wildly popular Instagram account. We're talking like 482,000 followers where Whitney regularly shares her brand of radically honest therapy with her followers. So I'm going to dive in. And as I said in our book chat last week, Whitney, your book made me uncomfortable. As someone who prioritizes positivity and leans into positive psychology, I did not want to see myself in your examples. And I told you this story. My eight-year-old son saw your book, Toxic Positivity, sitting on my kitchen table and asked me if I was mad at it. And then he followed up with the same question that I'm sure many of our listeners are asking, and that's, how can positivity be toxic? So let's kick it off with that question. How can positivity be toxic? Yeah, I love that story about your son. (laughs) So positivity becomes toxic when we use it to dismiss someone else's feelings, to make them feel like what they're feeling isn't real or true. And when we use it to deny someone else's reality, and we can also do all of those things to ourselves. That's Amazing. Max, did you have a follow-up question? No, no. I mean, I love that example. And I think that's a nice distinction, which is helpful to me, that positivity on its own is not toxic. Positivity becomes toxic when you're using it in that way. Absolutely. That's amazing. And I'm Heidi, and I'm like, I don't know how many years ago I did my first yoga teacher training, but it was a couple decades ago. And I can remember almost the opposite. I would come in and I'd be like, I'm fine. I'm great. And uh, whenever anybody asked me to do like how I was and all of my teachers said, and I'm remembering this like so many years later, they'd be like, no, but I want to know how you really are doing and stop like glossing over it. And I feel like that sort of relates to like, there's just so many toxic positivity platitudes plastered all over social media these days, right? And coffee mugs and t-shirts and diaries and notebooks and everywhere. And So can you walk us through how and why some of the sort of following ubiquitous phrases are actually pretty harmful, such as everything happens for a reason, good vibes only, never Mm -hmm. give up, just be happy, grateful for what you learn. And I have to say, I recently went through like a, not like, I recently went through a very traumatic experience. And so she was assaulted. She was attacked and broke her wrist being, I mean, it was horrific just to share for you, Heidi, horrific. But so it was a big trauma. And so in the wake of that, I was trying really hard to tell myself that everything does happen for a reason and I'll figure it out later. And, and I don't know if that helped or hindered me. So I'd be really curious about your take. Yeah. So a lot of these phrases just lack nuance, right? It's like, we've almost just gone too far to the extreme. And I think we do this with really good intentions, like wanting everything to make sense, to have control. 
And humans really like stories that have very clear beginnings and ends, right? So with what happened to you and what's happened to many other people, it feels really good to be able to say, okay, get why that horrible thing happened to me because now this thing happened and look at what I've learned. And I think for other people too, who love and care about you, that feels better for them as well. But sometimes the story doesn't really make sense or there is no reason why something horrible happened. And I think particularly in that moment of struggle, right after you go through an event, it can feel really dismissive for people to be like, you're going to figure out why this happened. Everything happens for a reason. It's like, well, I just got my safety rattled, my sense of reality. Like, I don't want to know why this happened. I wish it didn't happen. So you're saying it's okay to wish it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, there, yeah, okay, everything happens for a reason. And that reason might suck. And exactly. I might not understand what the hell that reason is, right? Yeah. Like that's the new, I think that's the beauty of it. There's nuances. It's even with like good vibes only. We were talking about how it's good vibes mostly. Good vibes on their own aren't that bad. Like it's not bad to want good vibes, but to say this is the only way is where it becomes problematic. Right. Exactly. Similar to one of the phrases in that list, never give up. Like that's a great thing to have as a mentality, except for when you are like so past the point of this is useful anymore, right? Like you have to know when to wipe your hands or something. Well, and Wendy talks about that in the book and the book talks through her clinical experience. She gives you context for understanding these things and putting them into practice in your own life. You know, like you talk about, yes, yeah, sometimes you should give up. Sometimes it's time to throw in the towel because this sucks and it's bad for you. And it's not like, give up, go ahead, give up. Where's that poster? I didn't have that in my <laughs> library in school. You know, it was the cat hanging from the tree. <laughs> Never give up. No cat, give up, drop so the fireman doesn't have to come get you. Right? Right. So one of those platitudes is be grateful for what you learned. And in speaking of gratitude, we've talked about this, but you say that gratitude can be a weapon of shame. Can you walk us through this and help us spot some of the shame that's masked as positivity? Yes. So whenever people are going through something difficult, you know, you mentioned the event that just happened to you. A lot of people, when they're talking about that, will be like, just be grateful that X didn't happen. Be grateful that you're alive. Be grateful. I can't tell you how many people say that to me yeah. every single day. And I'm like, way to take away from what happened. Thanks. Exactly. And so it's almost like everything has to get like gratitude dumped all over it. We're not allowed to feel upset because it could have been worse. And I'm sorry, it really, it could always get worse. And I don't find that to be particularly helpful, especially as a therapist. If I'm sitting there with my client while they're talking and I'm like, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> like what you're saying, it's bad, but it could get worse. And what that does to somebody with anxiety is also not particularly helpful. Now you've opened up a whole new door for them. <laughs> and so this shame really arrives when we tell people that they can't be upset about what they're upset about. And that not only should they not be upset, they should feel grateful. And when they can't feel that, I notice that that's when the shame really bubbles up and becomes unmanageable. What's a healthy way to practice gratitude? Like when is gratitude good? So gratitude has a ton of benefits, but typically I find, and the research shows that it's much more effective when it comes up naturally. So what that might mean is that you're noticing it throughout your day. You're allowing the sense of gratitude to come over you. And gratitude is something that can be built up. So the more that you practice it, 
typically the easier it becomes. What we want to do is try to notice it in times where we feel good, where we feel thankful, where things are going well, not push it on ourselves in moments of struggle. That's when it becomes more challenging. We had talked about this. So my practice of finding the yay, which is like a fun filtered version of gratitude is a beneficial practice because it's just a practice of noticing. And I think that was an interesting distinction for me. It's not like, okay, it's Thanksgiving. Everybody make a list on turkey feathers of 10 things you're grateful (laughs) for or bust out the journal. You have to write down five things. I was never able to do those things because they felt like homework. And now I know it was toxic positivity homework, and that's why I couldn't do it. You know, it's like that where you even see families, you brought up Thanksgiving, like where the whole family will be fighting and someone will be like, we're supposed to be grateful and happy today. And there's this force of that that's what you're supposed to be feeling. And you can't even say that the turkey is dry and like (laughs) nobody actually likes it because we're supposed to be grateful. Exactly, exactly. This is Heidi. This is reminding me of, so my son, I asked his pediatrician twice in this first couple months of life, if he had hip dysplasia. It's very common. I knew all about it because of my daughters. And she blew me off twice when protocol was to send him for screening, to get him x-rayed, to get him sonogrammed. That was like state protocol and she ignored it. And it turned out like after the window where he could have been like very easily fixed, he obviously had hip dysplasia and wound up in body cast for a large majority of his life. And the doctors, the surgeon, one of the surgeons, his first surgeon said to me, he was like, well, it's, it's always the best, happiest kids that this happens to. So it's a good thing it happened to James. And I was just like, I was like gutted. So I'm like, so you're saying if I had a difficult, mean child that this wouldn't have happened to him? Like, this is really, I don't know, when you were talking, this really brought this thing up to me. And I'm like, that's kind of what it was, right? That is a very good example, I think, of how toxic positivity shows up within healthcare, Mm. that there's always this spin on everything, you know, that really what probably would have been more valuable is for this doctor to say, I am so sorry that your child, you know, was passed by and that no one listened to you. And now we're at this point and I'm going to help you get through this. You know, rather than making it this like, well, look at the bright side. Your kid's happy. (laughs) I think what's so interesting about your book, Toxic Positivity, is that it raises a lot of these things that we've just been conditioned to say and don't even really think about. And now it will highlight moments like this for you in your own life where you're like, wait a second, that's why that made me feel so shitty. It was toxic. And I think that was a very empowering part of the book where you're like, oh, Yeah, that wasn't okay. That's why it gave me the bad touch. Yep, absolutely. There's such this like gap, I think is what I really noticed when researching this topic of like, we all kind of feel like these phrases are supposed to make us feel good. And when they don't, you're like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just look on the bright side? Why can't I just be happy? I felt like that a lot. Yeah, I sometimes I feel like there's something wrong with my wiring if I don't do those things. Like it's something inherently wrong with me. And Megs and I were talking a little yesterday about manifesting and I'm a yogi and I am a believer in energy and focus. And I believe that what we focus on grows. And if you focus on what you want and take steps in that direction and do the work, I do believe you're more apt to get it. Likewise, I believe if you focus on your fears, you give them more opportunity to infiltrate your life. But that said, I'm not a believer that if I just say like, I want to manifest a million dollars, that I'm going to get a million dollars just because I said it or put a picture of it on my wall. So in your book, you talk about how 
positivity enthusiasts love manifestation. So how and why can manifestation be harmful? Is it setting you up for disappointment? (laughs) Is that why, or is there another reason? Yeah. So when I started researching manifestation, I discovered that there are a million different definitions and ways to practice it. Now the manifestation in the true sense, as I understand it, is kind of like what you think will become reality and what you focus on will become reality. It becomes toxic when we blame people for disease, for bad things that happen to them, assaults, attacks, things like that, that often people are not thinking about. And the whole idea that the more you think about illness, you will become ill hasn't really stood up to any type of test. It can cause a lot of victim blaming, I think. That being said, the power of visualizing, of identifying what you want, putting it out in the world is, of course, essential and a very good practice. But doesn't ensure that it'll happen? (laughs) No. You know, in my experience, it doesn't. I have seen some of the most positive, you know, people become sick, have things happen to them, go through tragedy in life that they never expected that they would. And I don't know that they brought that on themselves with their thoughts. Totally. So can you walk us through your whoop process, please? Because I love this. I like him obsessed with this. Yeah. Because it's actionable. So this was developed by Dr. Gabrielle Ottengen. I always butcher this. It's hard when you say people's name out loud, right? I've written a lot of researchers' name and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm recording my audible. How in the heck do you say that? (laughs) Exactly. But it's a great technique. So you want to think about like, what's your wish? What is your ideal outcome? What are some obstacles that could get in the way? And then, of course, like, what's your plan for getting there? And you're going to go through this. And the difference with this compared to traditional manifesting is that you're looking out for obstacles, problems, what could get in the way and trying to come up with a plan for that. But the first step of like identifying what you want is very similar to traditional manifestation. Love that. Can we talk about toxic positivity in the workplace and how to avoid it? Yeah. So toxic positivity is pretty rampant in the workplace these days. And I think what we have to remember is that negativity, complaints, all of that, it really opens up the door for creativity, problem solving, and development and progress. So there's a big difference, I always like to clarify, between like the person who is complaining about like the air temperature or coffee flavors in the office and somebody who's saying like, look, this project isn't going well, we need to come up with a solution. And employers and leaders in the workplace could really benefit from creating spaces where people can come, air what's going wrong with them, have an open dialogue and try to seek solutions collaboratively together rather than just enforcing this we're all happy and positive all the time type of culture. You also talk about in the book, and I love this, how to complain effectively. Can you give us an example on how to do just that? Yeah. So first you want to identify what it is that you're complaining about. So if I'm at a restaurant and I got the wrong food, I might be like, okay, they messed this up. Here's what's wrong. Then you want to think about what is my goal here? So is it to vent? Do I want a new meal? Do I want them to apologize? And once I identify that, thinking about who's the person or the place that can make this happen. So if I complain about this to my friend, they might listen to me, but I'm not going to get a new meal or an apology from the restaurant. So I probably need to go to my waiter, 
or the manager because they can make that happen. And when we're able to do those three things, complaining feels much more effective and gratifying and we're less likely to get stuck in that complaint cycle. Because it's not negative, it's problem solving. And I think you do a very good job of making that distinction between negativity and problem solving. You're complaining with a purpose. Absolutely. And sometimes the purpose is just to be heard. So if, you know, the weather is gross outside, I'm like, oh, it's so gross. And I say that to my friend and they're like, yeah, it is. Okay. I complained. I got validation. We connected over it. And now it's done. I love that reframing. I think that's really The book is filled with it. (laughs) Love that. So our audience is very wellness focused. And I wanted to touch on a topic you cover in toxic positivity that I think could really strike a nerve with our audience. So you, drum roll, please, (laughs) are anti-body positivity because you believe in body neutrality. So what is the distinction, please? So body neutrality has now been proposed as sort of, I think, the anti-toxic positivity for the body, where we can treat our bodies with respect, but we don't always have to love them, like them, or you know, look in the mirror and say, oh my gosh, I love myself. I'm so beautiful. And I think this really differs because it doesn't put this pressure on us to always feel good about ourselves physically. But we can still say, you know what, I'm going to feed myself, I'm going to move my body, I'm going to sleep, all those things are important, even if I don't like how my body looks or feel positive about it. You gave a good example about bloated, like walk us through that, you should be able to be bloated. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of body positivity accounts being like, oh, even when you're bloated, you know, just say, I love my body. And I'm like, but being bloated is uncomfortable. My pants might not button, I can't sit down, I don't like it. But I can still say, you know what, this is my body. I'm bloated today. I might not be bloated tomorrow. And I don't have to beat myself up and be like, I'm unattractive. My body's bad. But I also don't have to go to this love territory. It's this middle ground that for me was a lot more helpful, especially after I had my child and your body's in this weird stage where everyone's telling you to love it. And you're like, I don't even know my body right now. How am I supposed to love it? I feel gross and that's okay. Exactly. And things aren't working. It's just not working. Right. They're not normal, you know, and that, that happens. And that's okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's been a great conversation. I really obviously want to urge our listeners to pick up your new book, Toxic Positivity, because we've only scratched the surface here. Before I let you go, can you also tell us a little bit about the difference between leading a value-driven life versus a happiness-driven life? Because this really clicked for me. Yes. So when we live a happiness-driven life, we're focused on only having things in our life that bring us happiness or joy. And often this leads us to cut out relationships, people, or things that are just temporarily uncomfortable or whatever it is. When we live a value-driven life, we are able to identify what's important to us and have that be like our guiding light. And we know that those things that are important to us might bring up a wide variety of emotions. So if you have kids, they might make you very happy, but also infuriate you some days. And you have this awareness that just because I feel negative about something or I complain about it doesn't mean that it doesn't also bring me happiness and joy and that it's something that I value in my life. There was something you said, like you can be grateful for something and still complain about it, which really, really resonated with me because I sometimes 
do feel that guilt or shame for complaining about something like my children because thank God they're healthy. I'm so grateful to have three healthy kids, but God damn it, you know, they drove me crazy yesterday and that's okay. (laughs) That like, I really felt validated. I needed to know. I'm just like, well, I'm living a value driven life. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's that both. And though, that we talked about, you know, that that's really the antithesis of toxic positivity is being able to hold space for the good, the bad, accept all of it and meet people and yourself where they're at in that moment. That feels very balanced. What were you going to say, May? Yeah, it's funny. Having read your book with lots of sticky notes and what it has changed the way I've interacted with people. It really has because a friend came to me in crisis yesterday and I really worked very hard to be like, that really sucks. I can't imagine how horrible you feel right now. And I did a little more of that than I typically have in the past. I've always come to to people for that, but I really gave her a lot more time to sit with how bad it sucked before walking through any kind of action steps. Right. That's good. It really means a lot to me to hear when people are implementing it and using it. That's like my dream. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. Well, on that note, I feel like that's a great sequitur into our last (laughs) segment called Carmichael. (laughs) So I force Megan to say that every week, but I am the resident yogi. So I will explain that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing guests, you, what is one small actionable item that our listeners could take for a short period of time that might make a big change? And I feel like everything you were just saying was leading up to that. So yes. I want everyone to try when they're sitting with someone who is struggling and they feel compelled to use toxic positivity or platitude to instead go for validation or a question that will help you understand. So trying to say like, that makes sense or tell me more about that before giving any advice. I love that advice too. When you were talking about illness, like when someone is going through chemo or whatever, You had questions like, how are your symptoms changed? Things like that, which I found very helpful. There's so much good advice in this book. Thank you. I'm a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so where is the best pace for our listeners to get a copy of Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy? Yes, it is anywhere books are sold, but you can go to my website, sitwithwit.com, and there's links through there, or my Instagram at sitwithwit. Because every time you shop local at your local bookstore, a real person does a happy dance. (laughs) Yay. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been so nice getting to know you. So I'm glad we connected through Tartar and Marion and all that. Yeah, I feel very lucky. I feel feel real grateful. I feel the good grateful. (laughs) Me too. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Whitney has left the chat. So Megs. Thank you for bringing her on. So I like geek out. This is like the authors of Instagram geek out, right? We both have orange books, the same editor, Penguin Random House, Tartar Perigee. When I got to meet her for that book talk, I was just sort of blown away. I mean, I haven't read a book with sticky notes and underlying in a while. It really just helped change my thinking on some things and also solidify my thinking on some things. Something that she had validated for me was like, yes, I look on the bright side. That's not toxic positivity, unless that's the only side you look on. I look on all the sides. I see the dark side, but I work hard to bask in the sun. And I think she makes that very clear, the distinctions. 
I mean, I love that. And it was so interesting that that story about James's surgeon came up for me when you guys were talking about it. It's like, I, it was so loud in my head. I was like, that was why it made me feel so bad. Cause it was almost as if like the universe was punishing my son for being a happy kid, you know? And I think that's, what's really amazing about the book because it is thought provoking in those ways where like everything happens for a reason. I'm sure I'm guilty of having said that over the years or like just smile or never give up. Like on the surface, these don't seem like harmful, toxic phrases. But again, it's about the nuance, the context. And I think she gives us a lot of strategies to just be better for each other and to each other and to ourselves. I love that. And I loved so much what she said about body neutrality. I think it's like, you know, we've gone as a society, we've gone so far in different directions. And so to find, and again, I keep coming back to this word balance, like it all feels very balanced and and honest. Yes. I think a big piece of it is it's honest and it's authentic. Yes. Right? It's not real to be smiling and loving yourself all the time. Like, hey, listen, my pajama pants were tight. Oops, <laughs> like maybe a little too much wine and dessert. Like I still love me, but man, that didn't feel good and that's okay. Yeah. And also like you're like, all right, so maybe, you know, if I want to change this, I can take steps to change it. I don't have to pretend that I'm happy about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the main messages here is like, stop pretending, be your authentic self. And sometimes that's happy. And sometimes that's sad. And sometimes that's mad. And sometimes that's the silly. Feelings chart. You're bringing the up the feelings chart. <laughs> yeah. Because there's no such thing as negative emotions, right? They're just emotions. And we assign value to things that isn't valid, right? Like why is anger bad? Anger is helpful. Very Why is sadness bad? Those like a negative, a toxic positive. Don't cry. Yeah. No, no, no. Cry if you need to. Cry it out. Yeah. It all feels so balanced. And I'm just thank you so much. I think it gave us so much to think about. I hope it gave our listeners so much to think about because I know it sure did for me. I know you are very familiar with the book, but I'm going to do a deep dive with it because. It sounds absolutely amazing and thought-provoking, and I hope everybody picks up a copy. And on that note, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you are not already subscribed, please subscribe to Off The Gram, anywhere you can consume podcasts. And of course, follow us on the gram at Off The Gram Podcast. And you know, if you're feeling generous, give us a few stars on those ratings on iTunes and everywhere. (laughs) So thanks everyone for listening and we will catch you next time.